Hey, folks, you're about to hear our episode on The Passenger. This has been a long recording day. The Passenger started it out, and so we started out with a bang. Lots of excitement over one of our favorite novels of the entire journey. Yeah. And I mean the, the entire journey. journey. The journey. I don't just mean that. I mean the journey of human history. McCarthy sure seems to think so. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll hear our thoughts on The Passenger in a second. Spoiler alert. They saw it. Our thoughts suck. <laughs> Our thoughts Sorry. So it's been a long recording day. I've, I've, I've lost my voice uh, shouting about how women should be put in their place during our Emma recording. It's a sultry voice now. Though. Yeah, it's a very sultry voice, so that's good. Anyway, here's what we have to say. Yeah. In fact, I've lost my voice so much. Why don't you? The booking is now on Discord. Yes. That's what it is. Yeah. So if you are a patron yes. of the booking, you need to go and activate your Discord right now where you can interact with us about every episode and every book that we read and are reading. And we are currently making plans to produce episodes, interacting with your feedback and comments on the books that we've been reading and what we've been saying about it. We're not sure exactly how that's all going to work just Mm -hmm. yet, but we know that that's the kind of thing that we want to do. It's worked out really well for us with other shows that we've done, Sound of Sanity and Sanity at the Movies. It's working out where it's just a really fun community that's developed. And Let's face it, folks, the Bookening is the best community mm-hmm. that we've ever had. If we look at the wall of things that with fan content, you know, we got some Chip and Lance stuff, if you know what that is. But we also just have a lot of Bookening sure. stuff here, art and yeah. letters and thank you notes and all kinds of things sent in. The Bookening is the only place or the only show that we have that has got, gotten us invited to come and do uh, our own conferences, go take it on the road, mm-hmm. the Bookening Roadshow. That sort of thing. So this is just the place to have the Discord community to end all Discord communities. So if you're already a patron, go ahead, sign up, join the Discord. If you are not a patron, become a patron mm-hmm. and join the Discord because it's just going to be a lot of fun to interact with with these episodes and everything else. And it'll be a lot easier than connecting through Patreon and even having discussions about things like, oh, what should go on the t-shirt? Well, you know what we'll do is we'll put a nice little thread in there for yeah. you guys to suggest the quotes and things and mm-hmm. t-shirt ideas that we'll just have a running list of uh, throughout the course of the year and all kinds of fun things like that. Yeah, we'll our, we'll our drop j- maybe pictures of the books and things that yeah. $50 <clears throat> patrons are getting. Mm-hmm. So you'll be able to see where that. We'll be getting notif- yeah, notifications about what you guys are posting. So mm-hmm. get on there. We'll interact. And then even more than that, you will get to help shape some content for future shows. Yeah, yeah, we may do Q&As, we may do any number of things, but I think we've discovered in the last year that Discord's just a really great mm-hmm. way to interact with with our Patreon friends and syncs up really nicely. Yeah. And we I think we've rediscovered booking. Not that it would not that it ever the fire ever went out, but there was a time when me and Jake had just moved to Evansville and it was hard to figure out how to do this show and we were doing it via the computer. And we just didn't quite have the same juice we used to. There were months at a time where we thought this show was on the ropes and at, mm-hmm. at, at the end. And but we haven't thought that for a while now. Yeah, I think that I think that we've found our new groove, just like Stella. Stella, yeah, yeah. So Stella. just like the Emperor. Yeah, just like the Emperor. Not Stella yeah. Maurice. No, not Stella. She never <laughs> did find her groove. Well, no. I, well, I guess she did. <laughs> she's the Virgin Mary. But hey. <laughs> Podcasting's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Talking into a microphone is fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, we're 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 good at it, but it has been a long day of it. So we'll let you get to our amazing passenger episode. 
talk to you all soon on Discord. Yep. And do not, only I am allowed to say that Brandon's fat. You cannot say that on Discord. Do not say it. Yeah. And Jake can say it, I guess. But don't. I would never say, Brandon is fat. Yeah. It's, I thought you have a. Nah, no, it's it. gone. I lost it. Oh, no. Yeah. I accidentally lost all of them and had to redo it. And I <laughs> oh, <so> somehow. Sad. <laughs> that, that one didn't make its way. That out. one didn't make the final cut. But. Frailty, thy name is Brandon. But that one did. That was worth yeah. retrieving, yeah. Well, when you have something as magical as Brandon is fat, <laughs> it's hard to replicate it. It is. <laughs> all right, folks. Brandon's got to go home. Patreon.com forward slash the booking. Yep. Sign up for Discord. It's going to be fun. We love you. Goodbye. Mer- and Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Christmas. Hey, a, a goat came in here. <laughs> 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 Hello, Mr. Goat. What? No, don't need our tin cans. Oh, no, Cormac McCarthy is going to sacrifice it. <laughs> okay. Does he do that? I don't know. Yeah, probably. <laughs> Bye. Frailty, thy oh. name is Brandon. Uh, I meant Thank to, you. that's actually not the button I meant to push, but we'll keep it in. Here we go. Coming up next, Cormac McCarthy's The Passenger. <laughs> There's the energy. Woo! Hey, everybody. Welcome to the long-awaited discussion of Cormac McCarthy's The Passenger. We're recording this in the height of the Christmas season. What a beautiful story of hope and (laughs) redemption and Christmas magic it is. I'd say you've got It's a Wonderful Life, you've got A Christmas Carol, and you've got The Passenger. We've got the story that opens with a girl who committed suicide on Christmas because of her unrequited love for her brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're mostly sure it's unrequited. Well, I mean, it's pretty clear I think that it's unrequited. It I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean it's <laughs> I mean he requites it in that he loves her back. Yeah, but also unconsummated, is that what you mean? Maybe that's All right, fine, that's a better way to put it. But they live apart like they don't like Yeah. Well, wasn't she the one that's like He's like, and she's like, eh, we shouldn't probably. I mean, isn't that basically the way? I thought it was the opposite. Oh, maybe it was the opposite. The important point is, who cares? Yeah, she, well, I think of, she was the one who was like, who, who cares? And apparently a lot of reviewers care. I was also looking up some reviews of this book. Well, you know, it's sad when... The LA Times said that this is a almost perfect, brilliant book. Do they? Yeah. The La... Times <laughs> the law <laughs> said that, huh? Yeah, I guess it says something when all you know. Because I remember when this book was announced, they said it's about a brother and sister, and I think the first thing out of my mouth was, "Oh, gee, I hope it's not about incest." Yeah, I guess it says something when an author is of the sort of person that—that's the first thing that you say. When the first thing that you say, and then sister novel, and then especially when you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah, and it also says something about the literary culture of today that. Everybody is like, they think that this is a brilliant move. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, look at all that he's doing with this relationship and how tangled it all is up with their own guilt about their dad and his relationship with the atomic bomb and the weird, the alamide kid or whatever he is. Do you guys look up what that was? Yeah. It was a real baby that was affected by the- Like a flipper flipper baby. baby, yeah. Yeah. And so there's that, but then also apparently that's tied up to her feelings of guilt about her brother. And her feelings for her brother and yep. what that incestuous relationship would have produced. And it's all like codified. Sorry, I'm not chuckling because I'm chuckling because I just made a joke in my mind. And the joke was that 
flipper babies are babies that like the show flipper was on but then there was a power outage and people were like oh no we can't watch flipper what is there to do well <laughs> so in the nine months later there was a bunch of flipper babies but that's not what a, that's not what a flipper baby is so. well i just painfully squirted coffee through my nose that was the most absurd tangential <laughs> little joke riff i've ever heard in my life hey, that, that joke was worth more than this novel <laughs> <laughs> i cracked myself up with it and then i decided to share it with the audience so i'm sorry brandon you were saying i don't even know what i was saying oh yeah and it's all codified my here. nostrils are burning now. i'm speaking like a literary theorist now it's all codified in the body of this fantasy yes the text yeah, and so, yay. Brilliant, <laughs> McCarthy. Great. Well. I don't know that my sinuses will ever be the same. Hey, you've got flipper sinuses. Yeah. That's what she can say. And then you can explain at great torturous length <laughs> yes. how it came about. <laughs> yeah, and it's so frustrating because when he writes at the top of his game, he makes some beautiful sentences. He, he, he does know how to put together really a sentence. great quotes in this book. Yeah. It can grab you. It can... But then in the end, you're just, it wasn't enough for me in the end. Do I really have to do this? <laughs> I think I feel the same way about him that I do about Dennis Johnson to a degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you come away from any, I, I come away from anything with Dennis Johnson much more pr- profoundly impacted and much more like, oh man, but also Man, what a waste. Mm-hmm. And that's almost like the first thing out of my mouth every time I finish anything by Dennis Johnson or Cormac McCarthy is what a waste. Mm-hmm. Because you sit there and you're like, the talent, like the genius, the gifting is ridiculous. It is absurd. And you just come away. It's like how they spent it. Mm-hmm. What a waste. Yeah. Well, I will say about the two of them, comparing them and speculating wildly about their lives you read Dennis Johnson and you get the feeling he's processed some of this stuff. Like mm-hmm, he's on the other side mm-hmm. of some of it. You read this book and you're like, well. This is it? This is all you have to say at 90 years old? This is the end of your life? And dude, if you want to tell us that you had some kind of terrible sexual thing happen to you. As a child. Why spend your entire career scratching that? Like just, just, just pull this, rip the scab off, rip the Band-Aid off, deal with that Or that crap. you did something, that you committed some horrible thing. Yeah, it's one like, way or another. It was done to you, you did it to somebody else, or both, but deal with it. Yeah, like, how many books do you have to write? Like, it is sad when, brother and sister, that's what all, that's, all, that's the only thing we know. What I like, live in the grossness of all of this forever, perpetually, and it will help me produce fine art. Mm-hmm. It's like, or you can deal with it, and become a healthier, happier person. I mean, if and this is, still help people process that sort of thing. Yeah, sure. I don't object to somebody uh, helping process these it in a subjects. much more helpful way. Yeah, in a much more useful way. But if this I is mean, the clincher on his career, that's he, his career is going to be bookended. I think, if I'm remembering correctly, by books about incest, right? Oh yeah, Orchard the, Keeper. Orchard Keepers. I've not read. I mean, all of the books have some implication of that, like the ending of. Blood Meridian is not incest, but there is the implied, it's deeply sexual, horrific thing the judge does to the boy or right. the kid, the kid, the kid. Yeah, who I've read plenty about people saying that this is the zombified resurrection of the kid. Who the flipper? Yeah, the flipper boy. Flipper boy. Well, I wish I thought that Cormac McCarthy put that much thought into his MCU. Yeah, but I do not think the McCarthy cinematic universe is 
quite that deep or well-conceived. Yeah. I mean, you could say the judge reoccurs as a type. That's the best you could say is that there's and, – and I, and I longed for a judge in this book. Like have a villain hunting this guy. So something and, – and then put all your little corny evil speeches in the villain's mouth and this book yeah. would have so much more verve. Yeah. yeah, give us an actual story with a through line that has compelling plot instead mm-hmm. of vignettes on vignettes and, oh, yeah, well, none of these little story threads matter. Yeah. None of them are going to be pulled together. We're not going to know who's chasing or hunting him. We're not going to know anything about what was going on at the bottom of the of the bay. We we're not going to. None of that matters. Nothing. All that matters is life is pointless and meaningless, and we are all going to die. Mm-hmm. But love can give it some sort of yeah. Or can no it? matter what kind of love, it's messy, right? It can give it both meaning and also horrifying it implications. Can haunt you. Yeah, I mean. All right. We got this book, just sort of baggage check. Mm-hmm. Like I got this book the day it released, and I probably read it in a week. Mm-hmm. And that was over a month ago, and I have tried to not think about it since. Yes. Yeah. Including even this morning, it was like, do I want to go and refresh myself and review and remind myself no. about this book? Nope, sure don't. Nope. I mean, that's the review. And that, I mean, it's just like, I think that's the review. It's like... I may in the moment have had much more profound thoughts about the book, but I don't want to have any thoughts about this book. I and, want and it I to don't go think it's, away. It's not, it would, if we were doing Blood Meridian, you might say that's a work of evil genius, but you'd remember it and you'd want to remember it because it's, right. it is a work of evil genius, whereas this is just a mess. This is not. Well, yeah. Well, once it's, it's a book that I think, as you said before, it never should have been written. But having been written and having been read, You've already paid for it. You better not lose the value that you got from it. Mm. Like Blood Meridian. Blood Meridian. Yeah. 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 That's what I'm talking about. Sorry. And yeah. no, not The Passenger. No. Yeah. The Passenger is a book that never should have been written, never should have been bothered to be read, and needs to be forgotten as quickly as it's been yeah. touched. Well, the thing about so, Blood Meridian is that it's so well done that it comes close to making an argument that it should have been written. And I don't think it does. But well, it at least deserves the conversation. You get though. done with it and you're like, man. I hated that and it was evil and I loved it and it was great. And this guy's just a genius, an evil genius, perhaps, but a genius. This book is just like, <laughs> Brandon just did a Dr. Evil thing. Is that yeah, what that was? <laughs> you were talking about evil geniuses. <laughs> yeah. Like bringing in my favorite. <laughs> the greatest of evil geniuses. <laughs> that is who Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> well, that's a, no, he's always doing that. I mean, I mean, his sense of humor is about on Mike Myers level in this thing. I don't yeah. know what it is about dirty old men writing books like all these guys, all these postmodern guys have to have like fart humor in there. The sections with the s- sister, Waka Waka, the flipper guy's showing up and he's making these jokes. And at first you think, well, that's the character. And then you realize, no, that's not the character. McCarthy actually finds this funny. McCarthy's like doing a little jig for us. Like he actually <laughs> thinks this is this is kind of funny and interesting. Shigeru doesn't really do that. no. He's not into fart humor. <laughs> I, I guess I was thinking of like Pynchon and yeah. DeLillo and those idiots. He's too classy. Yeah, those guys are idiots. Not not that I've read a lot of their books or been able to get through the ones Do we I have an Ishiguro on 2023's book No, list? we're doing Murakami instead. Okay. And we're happy with that, right? Yeah. I'm happy with that, but also means that I might slip in an Ishiguro. Yeah, I mean, so with these postmodern guys, so a couple thoughts here. I've been wondering because I'm reading all these reviews and these people are having different opinions about this than we are. Mm-hmm. 
And I wonder if we're not at a moment where postmodern novelists, it's gotten so bad that it's made critics stupid mm -hmm. because they now have the expectation that things are going to be so complicated and the structure is going to be so hidden that they're brilliant if they nod to getting something they don't. It makes me think of James Joyce's joke that his book was going to keep everybody guessing. Right. The critics were going to be guessing for millions of years how this actually works and fits together. And now every novelist after the postmoderns, if they want to be a great novelist, and I'm doing air quotes right mm -hmm. now, tries to write books that are so complicated that they don't even understand how they work. And so all the critics then have to nod towards they get how it works. Which you can't do unless you've written a book that actually works. Yeah, and so it's all right? this So big... you have to write books that actually work as books, build up some credibility, yeah. and then just go sit down and write some BS as your deconstruction. Exactly. And post-structuralist masterpiece that's actually just a bunch of garbage with some poetry. That's actually extremely lazy. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, but everybody gets to look at it as being beautiful and wonderful. It's right. the, it's my same criticism for poetry. You, be, you to have terms. to like come to believe your own press where exactly. it's like, well, I am in fact a genius and have in fact proven that I'm a genius. Therefore, what's actually needed is for me to sit down and just lazily write whatever comes to mind. And there will be some poetry and there will be some other things. And it doesn't matter if it holds together. What matters is it came from the mind of my great genius. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then everybody's convinced that it's genius because it came from him. And they're all convinced they're geniuses because they get it and you don't. Right. And so they're all, it's like a big like echo chamber. And then if we do a podcast where we're like, hey, the emperor doesn't have any clothes. There's really not anything else to say about it besides, ha ha, he's naked. Then, then we're going to get one-star reviews well, where people were like, did you see the finery? Like, you didn't just yeah. don't understand the purple linen the emperor was wearing. It's like, I, and it's like no, no, no he, you, we, you didn't understand that the emperor was naked, but you read an LA Times review and that you think you understand something. Mm -hmm. so it's really, like the reviews yeah. that we get on something like Nope. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, dude, just because you read a New York Times movie review of Nope that said Nope was genius doesn't mean you understand the first thing about movies. Mm-hmm. You you couldn't actually sit and just tell me what Nope was about. That's the ball game. Things ha things have to be about things. Yeah. It. But hey, we're the echo chamber. Yeah. They're the geniuses. They're the ones teaching at Harvard. The fact is, and I say this without equivocation, it is much harder what McCarthy did through his late career, where he took these really appealing thriller plots, essentially, a Western in the case of All the Pretty Horses, a kind of chase drug thriller with No Country for Old Men, an apocalyptic thriller with The Road, where he took these, these really generic populist thriller plots and was able to overlay his beautiful prose and his philosophical musings into that. That takes talent. Yeah, actually, to, to write a book that appeals on a popular level. And that's why my brother was excited to hear our review of The Passenger. It wasn't because he's into postmodern masterpieces. It's because he likes a good story. And that's what Cormac McCarthy has been able to provide in most of his. He likes the road. He likes No Country for Old Men. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and those books have narrative propulsion and their narrative tricks are fair. I mean, a lot of people don't like the narrative trick that No Country for Old Men plays and that it kind of throws away its th thriller plot at a certain point without spoiling it for spoilers for a movie that's 20 years old and a book that's older than that. But it's fair and it plays within the genre and it actually does give you a lot of genre thrills as it and, and that takes a lot of talent and hard work and well, it it's why Stephen King's not especially deep. Mm -hmm. But he will have one really 
poetic insight or two, maybe three in a book. But he's able to package that and deliver that really great poetic insight to the masses because he understands how to write a story that's compelling. Mm -hmm. And it says somebody like McCarthy, who is a poetic genius, unquestionably a poetic genius, with some real existential sort of insight, like that's what that, that's what you want. Like what you want is here's a story that allows me to package my really beautiful poetic language and insight. Mm-hmm. But this is just like well, I don't, and it's not that every story has to be like a cheapo thriller story either. You can do something like Remains of the Day, where it's a relatively subdued type of story, but there's still narrative thrust. I mean, Ishiguro, I think, is really a master, maybe the master of wielding together his sort of postmodern philosophical musings with this thing called a novel that has a beginning and a middle and an end yeah, and always yeah. feels like it's going somewhere and makes you want to turn those pages. And it's it's not that, I mean, the closest he comes to any kind of genre hook is Never Let Me Go or maybe Clara and the New Sun. I don't, I'm not yeah. as familiar with that one, but it's just Clara and the Sun, right? Or, or Clara and the Sun. Yeah. Clara and the New Sun. Sorry. There's a sci-fi novel that I like called Book of the New Sun, which is so dense as to be practically meaningless and would repel almost all of our readers. So there, Merry Christmas. I'm a fraud and a hypocrite, (laughs) but you already knew that. Whatever. I'm just going to play a sound effect. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I just just shot us all, put us out of our misery. (laughs) Well, that was an interesting fake. What's that scream? I tried to do Wilhelm. I tried to do a Wilhelm scream and it came out really weird. Oh, it wasn't a terrible Wilhelm scream. I mean, it's hard to do the actual will that, that, well, I guess it's like, I can't go high enough. It's too early in the morning. I mean, it's it's that, but good. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's a good version of that. Do you want to give us some context, Mr. Context? One of the best running jokes. Didn't we just do context on this guy? The Wilhelm scream. The Wilhelm scream. Yes. He wasn't born in the South. Yeah, we did. We already we did a whole McCarthy episode. We just did this one. This is bonus. We don't okay. have to. There goes the baggage plane. Anybody have any baggage? I already uh, gave mine, which is I just came out of reading, revisiting Blood Meridian and reading all the pretty horses. Mm. Right into devouring the passenger. And part of the reason I devoured it was so I could get, I think I just wanted to get it done. Mm -hmm. Like once I started and the deeper I got into it, it was just like, oh, get me out of this place. Now, Jake, actually, he literally means devoured. Mm -hmm. He put it on his grill. Yeah. Well, it's the only proper way to consume it is to just smoke it for yeah, a good 12, it. 12, 12 to 15 hours. Yeah. If anyone's ever seen the Goya painting, sear. Saturn devouring his son, we took a photograph yeah. of Jake where he's just got his mouth, his maw open wide. That's and right. The passenger is being eaten. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Well, the next, <laughs> the ne- that'll be cannibalism, cannibalism will be the next McCarthy book. Hey, it might be in Stella Maris. We did. We haven't read that one. We can only hope. Yeah, maybe she eats her brother. <laughs> so, so one of the things. Hey, <laughs> we can only it, hope. in terms of like context and baggage that I do remember, though, this could be. I think it might be fair. Well, Ghost at a Watchman. Mm-hmm. If I remember rightly, I did do a little bit of research at some point, or a little bit of reading, where this this is like. Pulled together from scraps, yes, and that's true. And notes, he was working and on a plan in the 80s. from yeah. This is a scrap novel from the eighties that got pulled together at the end of his life. Yeah, and so it could well be that at ninety 
plus years old or however old he actually he's 90 i think he is 90 yeah at 90 years old he he and his handlers just wanted one last shot yeah mm-hmm. and so this is it it is a atypical book for him there's not any violent set pieces which i think this is his only book without the catharsis of a little bit of the old ultra violence i mean maybe you could say that's a good thing but it's it's atypical for him yeah maybe that's the only thing that's atypical but that's that's kind of radical for a man that's written however many books he's written how many books has he written i mean 14 i'm gonna guess 14 a lot a lot you want me to see it was was probably just on the cover oh i guess i could just type it into google i'm sorry brandon you don't have to do all the work you don't have to do any work how many books did cormac on the back flap he has written 12 novels two plays five screenplays and three short stories hmm only three short stories. Yeah, isn't that interesting? That's He's lazy. 89 years old. He was born in Providence, Rhode Island, as we never tire of telling people. So he's not from the South. He's not from the South. One star. You guys don't understand what makes for a Southern writer? <sighs> yes, we do. One star. One star. Okay, does anyone have any other baggage? Brandon, are you going to write a dissertation on this thing? My baggage was similar to Jake's with this one in particular. I just finished all the pretty horses. Mm-hmm. And was like, yeah, man, that was good. That's like, that's good McCarthy. I was ready to read the Border Trilogy. Yeah, the Border I've Trilogy the is other, good. I've not read the other two. Yeah, we should. you should read The Crossing and Cities of the Plain. I have not read those. They're um, great. The Crossing, I think, I've is... I've also not read No Country. Like, I, I, if you wanted to do, like, people like to do now, what are they called, deep cuts? Mm-hmm. Like, suggest deep cuts from people's sure. works. I think The Crossing is one of his best. There I you recommend go. The Crossing. I did not know that. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah I'd like to go to try at least from what I remember. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better throw a qualification right, because yeah. it is Cormac McCarthy after all. The first sentence will be like, Bob yeah. walked into Incestville. <laughs> <laughs> and was like, oh, yay. Right. Yeah. <laughs> there were five corpses <laughs> hanging from a tree. <laughs> that actually does sound like an interesting novel. Sounds that sounds horrifying. <laughs> I don't like where this is headed. <laughs> oh, oh, Cormac. So anyway, so I was excited. I was headed into this. Then I was, oh. I guess it's similar to reading The Dead from James Joyce mm-hmm. and then going from that and reading Ulysses. <laughs> All in one book, though. It yeah. kind of. It, so this novel starts out with one of the, the thing that I hate in all novels, which is the italicized opening evocative scene, which I which is always supposed to grab you. It's in countless thrillers, but I find it really annoying because it's always like, you know what I like is chapter one where the story starts. I don't really need, I kind of find it annoying the trope of TV shows now where they start with a little scene from something exciting in the middle. You know, Walter White's got a car full of guns. What's he doing? And then we flash six months earlier, Walter uh, White was a guy. I wish Walter White had showed up and with his little machine gun in the back of his car and just did away with all this. Now, Breaking Bad is a very good example of something that wields quality writing with narrative in a way that many people found very entertaining, even though it sold out completely in its last episode. Yeah, man. In Nathan's humble opinion. No, you're right. It should have ended with Granite State. Is Granite State the one where he's all alone? Yeah, that was the second last episode. I could also see if you want a cathartic ending that's fun, end with Ozymandias. Ozymandias is, I think, a pretty cool ending, Well, too. nothing beats the ending of the episode before Ozymandias where he's beating on the window trying to get Hank to leave as the, yeah, you're so the Nazis are driving you're up. You're so set up for something cool. And and, it, yeah. It's yeah. amazing. Cormac McCarthy wouldn't have done that. No. He would he have had to turn his nose down at that. 
Well, well, his nose up at that? Well, no, he would have thumbed his nose. Cormac McCarthy in his 90s golden period would have ended Breaking Brad properly with something really dark and sad. And yeah, like he did with No Country for Old Men. Exactly. He knew how to do it. He, he knows how to do that. I think that of. what happened is in his old age, he wants to be, I think he doesn't like the fact that people only buy his books, that not only, but that, that people like a good plot, mm-hmm. that people want to be told a good story. He's like, well, I should just be able to have people amazed by the depth of my mind. <laughs> and so he, he writes this, but guess what? Even Moby Dick had a plot yeah. and Melville did this a lot better. I mean, Moby Dick's a perfect example of something that's so discursive all over the place. It's basically just extended scraps of whatever Melville yeah. was thinking about and wanted to talk about. And yet the fact that there's the vaguest suggestion of a plot. Yeah. There's a white whale. There's a white whale. And th- you, somewhere yeah. in the back of the novel, it's we're, lurking. we're heading towards that. You can do anything. Yeah, you, well, you just plant the bomb under the table. Right. Right? You plant the bomb under the table and you keep coming back and reminding everybody the bomb is still there. It's still under the table. And then now, like, so if you don't have patience to deal with the tension of the bombs under the table, and now we're talking about the art of whaling and the uses of whale blubber, which a lot of people don't. Okay, well, maybe Moby Dick's not for you. But if you can, like enjoy the fun of how he goes about telling all this side discursive stuff while having the tension of, oh yeah, that bomb's still under the table. Like, man, yeah, what a good book. It's a great book. Yeah. <sighs> it's got a point. It tells a story, but it's also broad and expansive. It's, it's... Speaking of, sorry to, I don't want to derail us, but Vince Gilligan's been talking about his new project that he's working on. Seems kind of exciting. Is it Moby Dick? No. Oh. No, we just talked about... What's he working on? Well, we're just talking about writing and writers. Yeah, Vince Gillen's a good good writer. He's a good writer, and he's talking about... Fox Mulder. Did he invent Fox Fox Mulder? No, but he got a start on X-Files. Well, he's talking about trying to get out of the the slide into depravity storyline and trying to figure out how to crack, you know, not the, not the slide into depravity, not the, not the hero to villain or anti-hero to villain type story, but how, how, how can he tell a good version of the opposite? Where a villain becomes a hero? Kind of story, yeah. Huh. I think like, that might actually be more suited to, he might, he might really like that because he kind of ended up twisting Breaking Bad into that against its will and Better Call Saul certainly leaned that direction. Yeah. So Better Call Saul, yeah. Did. So I don't know, I'm just like, of the people out there creating and crafting stories today. He's right up there. He's interesting, yeah. He's at least, yeah, he's one of the most interesting people out there. And I, I don't want to be a genre snob about about that. No, I, well, guys. Uh, I'm more interested to see what he does and what Cormac McCarthy does. I mean, the next thing what Cormac McCarthy is going to do, I expect is die, but. Yeah, well, he'll probably get one more thing. You think, he'll, you think he has one more in him? Maybe the incest thing you were talking about. Incest town? People probably can keep hearing me slap my leg. I realize yeah. that because I can hear me slap my leg in my microphone. Yeah. You're slapping your leg. I'm a wreck on tour. I like to move and gesture and slap my leg. We got a podcaster like that. Me and Jake podcasted with him yesterday. It's true. Very, you can hear a lot of what he does in the microphone. That's okay. What he does is interesting. It's not Ben Solzer. Not that Ben Solzer is not interesting, but he doesn't slap his leg. Guys. Or the table. Yeah. Or, or the microphone. Yep. Or the other table. Yep. Or lean back with a squeak in his chair to... Tell a, tell a tale or... Play with the tissues box. Play with the tissues box. That's fine. 
guys got any big picture thoughts? <laughs> I know we already said all our big picture thoughts. I think we but. said it. The only other thing that I was thinking is that, so you mentioned Dennis Johnson, like thinking of these guys as American writers, mm-hmm. this is very much postmodern America. And that it, so Jake was drawn in, but kind of horrified by it. That's kind of like modern sure. America. It draws mm-hmm. you in, but you're also horrified about mm-hmm. it. You don't ever want to think about it after you're done again. Wow, political yeah. commentary with Brandon. Yeah, yeah, and I think that Melville was writing in an era where American culture was healthier, mm-hmm. and so therefore Moby Dick is healthier. Huh. And these are very much marked by the disease of who we are as a society today. Insofar as the novel does reflect that, I actually did find it interesting, and it has lasted. I mean, it in my imagination... It is a, there is something sort of profoundly despairing about it that there there is a lasting residue of something that's stuck with me about this. Now, what else were we talking about? Oh, The Fablemans is a movie that me and Jake reviewed over on Sanity at at the movies. And it's like, I, I don't necessarily like the movie, but there is just this feeling that stuck with me from it. It's, it's, it's rumbled around in my brain in a way that a lot of things that I've read or watched or listened to haven't. And this novel, none of the plot or the characters or even the lines have really stuck with me outside of a hand, like two or three lines that I wrote down because I thought they were so good. But the feeling of it has. And there's this kind of mid-late century, 20th century despair to the whole thing that, I don't know, I guess can't help. What am I saying? This novel ends around the time that I was born. And so just kind of as a document of, well, here's the apocalyptic hellscape that you guys inherited, and here's why I think it's that way. It has some kind of power. So it's the great late American novel? It's the great late American novel. It right explains up, who we are, why we're here. Right up there with Inherent Vice. And it all has to do with the guilt we feel for what our daddies did. And the government chasing us for no apparent reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I wish the government had chased him some more. Yeah. Just just wield this to a plot, man. It's the Hall of Heroes. Mm-hmm. Can anyone remember the name of the protagonist? Something yes, I can. It's Western. Is it Bill Billy Western, Bobby Western? Yeah. Bobby. It's one of those. Yeah. He's your typical loner. I think. Cormac McCarthy dude bobby western bobby western zips up the jacket of his wetsuit he likes to speak in kind of laconic american tough guy understatement he's got a name that is symbolic yeah oh no we're entering into the villain's lair cormac mccarthy and every character yeah i mean this book really could have used a good villain I mean, not to be cheap about it, but Cormac McCarthy's pretty good with his villains. If we just had some sociopath CIA agent that was chasing Bobby the whole time, we probably all would have liked this book a lot more. All of his despairing musings could have fit in the mouth of that character. And I know I'm just saying do Anton Sugar or the judge again, but hey, if you're good at something... Why not? But Nathan, your need for that is missing the main point of this novel. What's that? And that the villains that we have today are nameless. They are the corporations. They are the government that makes us feel. And they're the fathers that are the architects of this modern hellscape. I mean, you want want names? Okay. Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Yep. Yep. There you go. 
He's the villain. But why couldn't his father have been embodied in the text, to use a phrase that these people would use? Like, why couldn't his dad have been a character? Why couldn't we have had dialogue where his dad was like, here's how I feel about being the father of the apocalypse? Like, because you don't get that closure. I don't want that Nobody closure. Does. I want that open juror. No, you don't get it. Nobody gets it. The wanting of it is part of the essence of this novel, but not getting it is also the other part. Okay. You can't really fully understand or wrap your head around what happened and how it all came to be. What you can know is that people got their faces melted off. Yeah. And what you can know is they're now coming for you. And what you can know is you're going to die in the end no matter what. And there's not much you can do to save anything that has to do with Western civilization. Hmm. But at least your sister loved you. Can I sleep with her? <laughs> nope. No. Okay. That would be bad. But I can... Fantasize about fantasize it. Fantasize about for it. For sure, yeah. And be horribly depressed about it. Yeah. Can I reminisce about like she dressed up in a sheet and put on like a sexy puppet show or something like that? Yeah, when she was like 15 when she was or 15. something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Reminisce all you want. Okay, cool. I love this novel. Hey, we're entering into the crawl way of secondary characters. Ooh, I'm zipping up my wetsuit. <laughs> Zip up our wetsuit. Hey, all guys, right. I, I actually That trailer do. part guy is kind of cool, actually. Yeah. The trailer part, I, I like that. I mean- there's not an individual vignette in this novel that's not kind of entertaining and in but and of itself. No, there is one that I didn't like, and that was the first time the, we met all of the friends. Oh, yeah, that felt off. Yeah, it was just off. That was where... Everybody's got a nickname and a shtick. And I was like, oh, come on. Plus, every time we go inside, what's her face's head? And... Okay, yeah, no. So every chapter either begins or ends with an interlude from... The past with Bobby's sister, and she's talking to her imaginary friends, and it is the most interminable. Yep. I mean, it is the part where he gives his villain. He has all his villain speeches and his like. It's it's the closest equivalent we have to the judge's monologues type stuff or Anton Sugar. But man, does it suck? Yeah. It's just like I don't know. It feels a little bit like what we said about like. It's great that that Ishiguro is doing a sci-fi plot, but the one thing that he shouldn't do is think that his plot is anything new or special. Yeah, or that, any- he, yeah he, that he's doing anything that hasn't been done before. And in terms of plot, been even done better by somebody else. That's not the point of Ishiguro. Right, which Ishiguro right. I think would be the first to admit. But here, Cormac McCarthy feels like, ooh, personifications of your madness characters that you talk to back and forth. It's like, how many movies have we sat through had bad through, you know, John Cusack's identity, things like that, where someone's alter ego fight club. It's like Cormac McCarthy is not aware. It doesn't feel like of the rich history of crazy people talking to personifications of their madness. Like he thinks he's doing something interesting. Yep. And he's not that trans character was pretty great though. Ooh. Ooh, that's me running over Cormac McCarthy with a mower. Oh, no. <laughs> Brandon, I think he was going <laughs> to die mower. soon anyway. <laughs> Twists and turns. It's the roadster bringing yep. us into the part where we talk about all the twists and turns. Ooh, this had so S- many twists and turns. Surprise. <clears throat> you thought there was a plot, but there's not. Yeah. Do, Surprise. Do you thought, oh, maybe there is a plot and it's going to come together. Nope, there's not. Do we ever figure Surprise. out what's going on with the airplane and the FBI and no. the seizure of his taxes? No, no. none but of it. Did he do anything to make that happen? We don't know, right? We don't know. No. 
he ends up living in a lighthouse or whatever it is. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> like that Robert Pattinson movie. Yeah. <laughs> right right up there with The Lighthouse starring Robert Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe in terms of meaningful art. Yeah. I forgot <laughs> that he ended up in a lighthouse until just the second. Me too. <laughs> of course he ended up in a lighthouse. In because Spain? Yeah, I think McCarthy so. McCarthy wants to write the most cliched thing that he possibly can. It's basically Captain Corelli's mandolin. <laughs> well, yeah, it really is. He keeps imagining that he's going to go out into the water and never going to, yeah. he's going to go kill, is he going to kill himself or is he not going to kill himself? I think he says, look at me, sis, I can fly. <laughs> well, usually Cormac McCarthy, yeah. Does he have the courage? Does he? Does he? In his old, in the old days, like, like all the pretty horses, we just read it. There's so many scenes that could feel cliche or hack or stupid, or it's like, these two guys both have pistols. They're going to out shoot each other to prove who's more man. Like how many times have we seen that? And how stupid is it when one character is just an amazing shot? And like, like we, there's these, there's these things that are a overdone and B they were stupid to begin with, but Cormac McCarthy can just make it feel inevitable and make it feel poetic and make it just really sing. And it's, it's like, it's the only scene you've ever seen where somebody outshot somebody and well, and that's part of his whole thing is, is like tapping into all of the lore, the myth making of of America, right? right. Like, and so, like, can I do that? Can I do that in a way that's compelling? Can I dance on the knife's edge? Yeah, and he does dance on it. He doesn't just walk it. He dances on the knife's edge in so many other places and other books. And in this one, it's just like uh, you jumped really high and you landed on the knife and you. Got cut in half. Yeah, I mean, I hate to say it, but actually the best example from all the pretty horses is the sex scene in the water with the beautiful senorita. And it's like, this is so from a movie. This is not from life. This is not even really from myth. This is just from right. a movie. Nobody behaves like this. It doesn't happen. It wouldn't happen this way. You'd be it cold. It wouldn't work this way. It wouldn't work. Yeah, yeah. biologically. like. <laughs> All you're doing is physiologically. You're describing does not work. It's like a letter to Penthouse or a stupid Jason Bourne movie. It's like the sex scene where they actually weren't interested in sex, but they just wanted a couple beautiful images to throw up there to break up the action scenes. It's like that kind of thing. And yet he basically makes it work. He makes it very poetic. I don't remember how he does it or what he does, but you know, it's the swimming in the darkness and all this stuff. But this (laughs) this novel is constantly tripping over its own feet with just simple stuff like here's the group of friends in a bar like here let's do cheers the iconic group of friends and everybody's got something cute and it's like he can't keep all those characters differentiated he can't keep them Mm -hmm. interesting he has trouble with having more than one person in the room i mean he can have two characters but it's hard for him to keep more than two puppets alive at a time and make them sound it's just like kind of simple not simple stuff stuff that great writers have to work really hard at but i mean raymond chandler always said he could do he could have two people talk to each other but it took him years to figure out how to have three people in a room together in a book and i think if you've tried writing a story you'll quickly understand what he's talking about but man cormac mccarthy just didn't have the ability to do simple stuff like this time like that like I don't know. I, it does feel it's it's hard not to speculate that he was just old and tired and maybe not even a part of the process. The process. That's the charitable way to look at it. Yeah, that is the charitable way to look at it. Maybe he was part of the final review or something like that. But maybe somebody. Yeah, it's just hard to know. 
maybe, maybe maybe we'll find out in ten years or something like that or fifteen years. Or maybe Truman Capote ghost wrote all his other stuff from Cormac McCarthy. Yeah. <sighs> I wish we could get Trumac. Trumac. That's it. That's what we need. We need Trumac. Trumac Caparthy. Trumac Caparthy would be a great writer. Back the Caparthian. What would that novel be? like? Ghostbusters 2. Breakfast in hell. I like that. What would happen to poor Holly Golightly? I don't know. This novel sucks. Brandon, Yeah. do you think that the people that write the reviews, because this book was the, not completely, but widely acclaimed, and even the people who didn't like it thought it had something, whereas we're just looking at it and we're like, yeah, he's talented, but this is there's nothing here. There's really nothing here. This is not a coherent work of anything. Yeah. So your question is, do I think they're sincere? <laughs> yes. Are they paid off? Are they paid yeah, off? Well, I don't think they're paid off. What I think, and so this goes back to, so I've been trying to come to terms with a lot of things. Like, so the New Yorker, every poem they publish is bad. Right. Just And we've trash. said this a lot. Yeah. And I think in general, our readers, our listeners, our readers, our listeners would agree with that. Yeah. So I've been trying to think, why is it bad? And then like their current poetry editor, he's, he's not a good poet, but he's their poetry editor and he publishes other bad poets. And part of you has to think that these guys were trained. They went to Harvard and Yale, good schools. They've read good poetry. They know what good poetry is. They even know the people who did what they're trying to do, like T.S. Eliot. T.S. Eliot did it well. Mm -hmm. And they're all just like trying to scream into this void that isn't doing anything for them, except that it is allowing them to create a market for themselves, right? And I think, they, I think part of them knows that it's all bad. Mm -hmm. And they're just not wanting to call each other's bluff because it allows them to do what's easy and what it allows them to do what's lazy and not actually have to create anything good. Instead, they get to create this stuff that then if you criticize it, they're like, well, you're just whatever miss you want to put after that, right? Mm -hmm. you're misogynist, you're racist, you're whatever it might be. Right. And so they have these protections they can put up. You don't understand because you're not from this culture, right? You're, you don't understand because you're not transgender. Right. Right, there's this one transgender poet that New Yorker publishes all the time now. And it's just all it's just really bad stuff. Mm. And I think they all have to know that it's bad. I don't think any of them are like deep down, I think they all realize that it's all just a, a shell game. I think if 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 I expose the emperor's nakedness, then maybe someone will look at me and notice that I'm not wearing any clothes. Yeah. And so it's just the empire's rotten, and I think they all realize it, and the critics all realize it, and they're all kind of shooting side glances at one another to wonder who's potentially going to call everyone's bluff and cause mm -hmm. it all to just go up in flames. When's the house of cards going to fall? Yeah. Sort of like, well, we can maybe keep solving this by raising interest rates and increasing debt. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just sort of like pretend like the Piper will never have to be paid. Yeah. Yeah. And then they all get to complain about the fact that they don't have an audience because really the Trumpites and lazy Americans would rather watch Star Wars and Marvel. Mm-hmm. You know, these other places where at least people are scratching the itch of wanting a story or, you know, they're all going to music to get their poetry as opposed to like the New Yorker because the New Yorker's not doing anything that's worth reading. Mm -hmm. But they all get to say, you know, we're the intelligentsia and we all kind of understand what they don't understand. And it fits into their politics too because they actually, any good liberal political scheme 
you know, you have to have those who get it managing the sheep who don't. So mm. it's, it's all just, an oligarchy of some yeah, sort. It's all an oligarchy. It's the oligarchy of the intelligentsia. Yeah, and they know what's best for us. But in yeah. their, I think in the, when they're alone in their houses at night, they probably feel really empty and really insecure about the fact that they can't create worth a flip. Yep, not worth a flip. I mean, I'm debating whether to say this, but I also think I'm I'm wildly generalizing here. But publishing is a what are the, what, are, what are the conservatives like to say a, a gynocracy. Publishing is publishing houses are run by women now. Yes, and women by and large are not going to have the courage to overthrow this system. We're we're not. We need like that rebel publisher. We need the Elon Musk of publishing, the person who's like, yeah, I don't care. I'm just going to publish Hemingway. And I know when I find the new Hemingway, everybody's going to want to read him because he'll be a fresh, he'll be virile, he'll be interesting. And we just don't, we just simply don't have that. You go to Barnes and Nobles, which I do all the time. There's one five minutes from my house. I go there to work and you look at the books that are being published and they're not the kinds of books that are going to sell a lot. Actually, they're written by women. They're about these dense abstract concepts that you can't just encapsulate in a phrase. I mean, even the fantasy novels, even the thrillers are, I mean, you've got like your old standbys, you got your James Patterson's and stuff like that. But by and large, you have stuff that's just more abstract, more dense, more up its own tuchus. Yep. And I just think you really do need that indie rebel, somebody or other to cut through the noise and say, I just want to give people a good literary product. I am a man. Hear me tell a story. Yeah, I'm a man. Hear me tell a story. And I just don't think, I mean, the industry closes ranks on those kinds of people. Publishing is hard to make money anyway. But I imagine in our lifetime, probably there will be somebody who will break out for a minute or two. And it might be happening like you mentioned Vince Gilligan. It might not, it might not be in the book world that it's happening. Well, TV is... Perhaps. I mean, TV needs its big fat hooks even more than books and has a legacy of white male creators that are still somewhat allowed to do things right now. So we might be closing ranks quickly on TV, but TV might be our best hope <laughs> for art right now. Yeah, I don't know. The golden age of TV may also be over, though. It's been a while since we've actually gotten our Breaking Bad and our Mad Men. It might be that Better Call Saul was pretty good. Better Call Saul was good, but it was building on the legacy of something else. Yeah. I don't know that you walk into a studio and say, I want to do Better Call Saul. No, it's an existing IP that has a... Yeah. I know people like Andor. I have not watched it. it. A lot of people are afraid that... The White Lotus was creating a lot of buzz. The White Lotus... <laughs> Whatever that thing is. But the White Lotus is just, as far as, I'm, as far as I know, the White Lotus is just more of the, we hate ourselves, we hate the rich, we hate... Oh white men kind of political commentary stuff. <laughs> we're decadent. We have a lot of money and we hate ourselves and we're going to make a TV show about it. Which at least if you're David Chase, you make it about gangsters and then everybody's like, yay, The Sopranos. Because again, it has. I'm not recommending anybody watch The Sopranos, but the reason it was a hit was not because he had such deep insights into the American family and how the way it was going, but because it was gangsters double-crossing each other and stuff like that. And that was fun, and people tuned in for that. And then they got all David Chase's insights into the dissolution of the American family. Yeah. I'll stop beating a dead horse. I'll hang it up on a tree of dead horses. Hey, 
It's the Salon of Style. Got a tree of dead horses. It is so sad. Walk by it, I'm feeling bad. A tree of dead horses makes me sad. I'm not glad. Great moments in podcasting. Nay. Nay. (laughs) (laughs) You mean... N A Y. Nay, that was not, sir. Good moment in podcasting. That's <laughs> a lot of style. This book, like all Carmen McCarthy books, has great lines. Yeah. Beauty makes promises beauty can't keep. Yep. Is the one that I can say off the top of my head. That's the only one I can say off the top of my head. I prob- There's a couple others. I, the, probably, I don't know that I wrote them down unless I dropped them in our. Most quotes I say with my mouth and not off the top Group of my chat. head anyways. Yeah, that's true. You're so clever. I actually have a mouth that opens up in the top of my head. I'm, yeah. I'm a weird. It is very bizarre. I've got two other quotes that I wrote down. One is, the world of, is full of people who should have been more willing to weep. Oh, it gives you chills, doesn't it? And a wonderful line. Ooh, yeah. Man, Cormac, you are so good when you want to be. People want to be reimbursed for their pain. Oh, yeah. They seldom are. Yeah. That is, that's good. I mean, those three lines are so good. It may have been worth reading the book. And the book is white hot garbage. Garbage. I just said garbage. But man, those lines are good. Yep. Yeah, he's good. He's really good. He's really good. I mean, even just the small details, driving up the road, he could feel the heat blowing off the burned land. Yeah. He just knows how to find those things to say something in a way that... A genius says it. So if there's genius on every page, then why don't we just get with the program and enjoy it on that level? I mean, you can enjoy it on that level and still hate it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can watch a Quentin Tarantino movie and be like, this guy has a certain facility for dialogue and character and shot composition and still hate what he's saying and how he's saying it. So I got to have the people who spend $450 to go to a three Michelin starred restaurant. Probably part of them is like, yes, that tasted really wonderful. Yeah, but then they also realized that I paid four hundred fifty dollars, mm-hmm. and it doesn't taste that much better than yeah Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> it might taste a decent amount better yeah, than Wendy's. That's true. That's true. <laughs> you could have chose your example. Culver's. I don't know, man. <laughs> What's a high end fast food? Parlor Donuts. Parlor Donuts is good. Come to Evansville, although you don't have to anymore. It's a change. Nah, you can go to Bloomington. Yeah, boo, Bloomington, California, South Carolina, Florida. I drove by a Parlor Donuts while I was in Florida. Yeah, Destin. Just stop. No. <laughs> I can have the same experience I had in Evansville. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, you, you don't go to... If you're from the hometown of Parley Donuts, there are lots of better places to stop like when, you're, when you're in Destin. Yeah, I bet. Right. You get Parley Donuts any day. Good. I'm sure that there are plenty of people, though, that vacation in Destin and are like, man, one thing I look forward to, one of the things I really look forward to is Parley Donuts for the kids. Yeah. Yep. When we go to Destin. Saltwater taffy. Oh, man. Good stuff. I don't really like any taffy. <laughs> Not I a like taffy. saltwater taffy, but it's got to be good saltwater taffy. I just think it's all it's, bad. It's hard to find good saltwater taffy. You just go to, yeah. It is. Look, we can talk about saltwater taffy all day, but we have to talk about the passenger for some stupid reason. He wears a wet We suit. actually don't. We can just be done. Yeah, we could just be done. Not before going to the haven of reflection upon deeper meaning. There deeper is none. Meaning. There is no meaning. Life it's an old man having conversations with himself about his existential despair and guilt through a thinly veiled veneer of characterization. We yep. don't even have characters. 
It's just an old man having conversations with himself about his existential despair mm-hmm. and his guilt. He really hates the fact that he's going to die and he's facing, he's standing over the abyss and he really feels bad about something that happened or something that he did. And it's all meaningless except he's guilt riddled and he hates all of it and doesn't know what to do about any of it except dump it into some poetic-ish Oxford novel mm-hmm. and, and not even bother creating characters for it, much less a storyline or plot. Yep. That's the deeper meaning. Right. Well, which there is another way you could go with this that I think you, you don't actually have. A, a plot can be a lot of things. So, for example, if he said, this is a book of short stories and we knew and were calculating for vignettes and, and that was the bargain that he made with us as a reader. That would have been fine. I, th- I think we would have been okay with that much more than... Well, it also does feel like... He had a couple really cool vignettes. He had the diving down to the submerged plane. Yeah, that, that's the wonderful beginning awesome. for a thriller. He had the, what would be really cool is if I gave a description of Hiroshima. Yeah. That's awesome. Really well done. He has a couple of little things like that that are just like super compelling and cool. If he had, if he just wanted to say it's near the end of my life and I had six vignettes or 10 vignettes that I could never figure out how to weave into an actual novel or story. And so here they are. And so here they are. That would have been awesome. I would have loved that because you just take them on their own terms. But instead, it's like, well, let's throw it in a blender and hope it works. Well, that's how I feel about Dennis Johnson. Here's a guy who never figured out in his life how to write a short story that worked, but he created a form that worked for him. And then he as I said, makes a bargain with the reader where he's like, well, this is the kind of thing I'm going to do. And you're like, okay, I get it. Yeah. And you very quickly get it. And then you're just able to appreciate him on the intended level and really appreciate him. But, which I guess our Dennis Johnson episode hasn't come out. Very next episode you'll hear, folks, is us talking about Jesus' son. So, yeah, who knows what we said? I no. sure don't remember. We recorded that one well in advance. But, yeah, Cormac McCarthy could have some of the frustration. I think we're exp- we're expressing is that he actually does promise a thriller plot at the beginning. He, yeah, and he develops it. Well, he just sets enough. up like the question of how did it did it come to be that this hunter stumbled upon the body of this beautiful woman out in the snow, mm-hmm. and then he gives us turns around and gives us this like, oh, how did this plane? get fully submerged and discovered by this salvage team of divers. And then what's going to happen next? Like, there's just a lot. Mm -hmm. Well, and again, No Country for Old Men, I mean, spoilers, famously has a really bummer ending where he just says, eh, actually the character died and the plot doesn't matter. But it's still an ending. It still goes A, B, C, and then D is something that everybody hates. But there still is an A, B, a C, and a D. And there's a big difference between doing that and just saying, a, X, Y, G, F. Don't you like my alphabet? Does anyone have anything else to say about Cormac McCarthy's seminal classic novel, The Passenger? No. Nope. Let's put him in one of those Viking ships, push him off into the ocean. Call it good. Set him on fire. <laughs> I worked for a funeral home taking phone calls at a certain point in my life. And we actually had someone call in to ask about the legality of doing a Viking funeral. Did you tell her it was completely legal? 
Yeah, that was the day I got fired. From the <laughs> no, I did talk to the funeral director and found out that it was not legal at uh, all. I mean, one of the problems is that it takes an intense amount of heat to actually burn a body. And what people don't know about cremation is that it actually, even cremation doesn't work that well. And there's lots of pieces to be disposed of. Mm-hmm. But if, if you were to simply put, say, Brandon in a boat and shoot some fiery arrows at him, yeah. what you would get is a charred Brandon corpse, mm. fairly intact, and probably the boat would burn pretty quickly, and then <laughs> Brandon's charred corpse would fall into the water and float there and contaminate things float there and, and wash up on shore. And mm. yeah, and then let's do that. Then yeah, let's make this happen. Yeah. Now, Brandon, I don't think you should have a Viking funeral. No, I think you should live. I think I should. Not that this book would inspire any no. such sentiment, but hey, I might die with a wetsuit on caving me and jake are both expecting to hear about that any day something in common with this guy Mm -hmm. there we go you think cormac mccarthy's ever put on a wetsuit it's fun to speculate about (laughs) (laughs) is it no (laughs) he lives in texas maybe he goes diving i don't know i think he's wearing a wetsuit right now (laughs) maybe maybe a diaper (laughs) (laughs) he's old a diaper the wet the wetsuit of the elderly yeah (sighs) i mean he seemed to have his details down about things he seems to really be into that now with his sciencey stuff yeah i mean cormac mccarthy is like jake mentioned the diving scene was fun it was interesting yeah, yeah was. he's always the kind of guy where if somebody uses well, he's got saddle, floating corpses yeah yeah but in other it's not like mccarthy it's not weird where like if faulkner was to write that scene none of it would make sense you'd be wondering what in the world is going on mm-hmm. but he, he knows how to both be poetic and make it real yeah yeah the scene itself is real and compelling yeah well, speaking of things that are real and compelling, we are really compelled to shout out our patrons. That was nicely done. Thank you. I pride myself. I thought you were going to say we were really compelled to end this. <laughs> well, I should say, Brandon, how many floating corpses out of 15 do you give to Cormac McCarthy's The Passenger? I feel like that's not a good thing, so I guess 15. Jake, same question? I feel like it's a great thing. I'm going to say seven. Jake loves his floating corpses. <laughs> he's, got uh, a, he's got a whole swimming pool full of them. <laughs> all right. I'll split the difference. I'll give it zero floating corpses. And I'll say it's a great thing and he, he doesn't deserve them. Yeah. How would you rank the Cormac McCarthy books that you've read, Brandon? You've, which you've, I think, read them all. <laughs> oh, without, without thinking. Go. One, two, three, go. Go, 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 go. Oh, man. Jake's going to have more rec- time. Recency bias, all the pretty horses. Okay. Number one with a bullet. Crossing. Number two with a bullet. Probably then Cities of the Plain. Number three with the Beloved That Border Trilogy. Yeah, then No Country for Old Men. Blood Meridian, just because it needs to be there. Yeah. Then The Road, and then all the others kind of grouped together in the nasty, let's forget about The nasty it. early stuff. The Orchard Keeper, and the Children of, not Children of Men. Child children of, God, of the Corn. Child, of, child God. of God, yeah. And some of those other weird ones that aren't. Yeah. The so, Border Trilogy definitely is. Just, I feel like it's just kind of its own thing. I know there are people that swear by Sutri. I've never read it. It's it's okay. Fine. It's like his memoir, basically. Okay, kind of. Okay. Right? Isn't that the one that's kind of his? I, I think so. Yeah. I, like I said, I haven't read it. Uh, Jake, same question? Horses, Blood Meridian, The Road, and The Passenger in that order. That's all I've read. Yeah. Uh, that's fair enough. Pretty um, much the order I got them in. And I don't know. I mean, Maybe I just put Blood Meridian at the top because. Blood Meridian is good. It's just not one it's that we recommend It's just horrible. Reading. Don't yeah. read it. Yeah. It's undeniable, though. Blood Meridian has, in terms of raw talent, Blood Meridian in terms of a book that's horrible, but then almost makes an argument for itself, as I've said many times, Blood Meridian has to go on the top. And then I'd put 
Then I put the movie of No Country, honestly, because I think it's better than the book. The well, hot yeah. take that I've now given several times on this podcast and other podcasts. Well, you didn't give it's us not that even option. a hot take. Jerk. No, it's, I think a lot of people think that. Yeah, you can include movies. Obviously, Billy Bob Thornton's All the Pretty Horses, <laughs> number one with That's a the best. bullet. I mean, if you were allowing me to do David that, then that I book? think that yes, he is. Or movie? Yes, he is. I think that No Country for Old Men, the movie, is the best McCormick McCarthy thing that's been done. Agreed. I would put that first. Yeah. That movie, supposedly, the legend of that movie is that he had a fantastic first cut that everybody says was an adaptation of Cormac McCarthy to rival No Country for Old Men. And then good old Weinstein of the Harvey variety took it away from him and mangled it and made it, tried to make it commercial. And we never actually got. But Cormac, Billy Bob Thornton, it's important to remember as much as he might seem like the bad Santa dude now was on a roll with things like Sling Blade and was a very popular and compelling indie filmmaker at the time yeah. and a good writer. And it's not outside the realm of, and Damon was a rising star. This was pre-born. It's not outside the realm of possibility that his All the Pretty Horses could have been a masterpiece, but we'll never know. Yeah, so, because Weinstein's a monster. Because Weinstein's a monster. The most monstrous thing he did. So that's what Brandon was saying just off mic. Yeah, sure. He said every other thing that Harvey Weinstein did, completely forgivable, understandable, if not admirable. But <laughs> oh my goodness, all the pretty horses mangling. Can verify that. And I, I disagree with Brandon. I just want that on. Yeah. I think the real monster, maybe Brandon? Maybe, yeah. Definitely. When I said that, you both guys, both of you guys said me too. So Right. <laughs> uh, like hashtag pretty, me too. That's pretty well done. Yeah. yeah. Good job. Okay. Yeah. So my ranking is no pretty horses country at the top. And then the movie. And then Blood Murder in the book. Uh-huh. And actually, it's Blood Murder in the book. And then No Country for Old Men in the movie. And then... All the italicized portions of the passenger. And then all the italicized portions. Yeah, great, great stuff. <laughs> Love it. And then all the pretty horses, I guess. I mean, I don't feel like I'm quite as quite the all the pretty horses heads that you guys guys are, but it, it's pretty great. Well, in my case, again, I've read The Road. I've read Blood Meridian, All the Pretty Horses, and The Passenger. That's it. That's what I've read. Jake had it right. Yeah. So I, I want to put The Road last on the list of the things I've read, besides The Passenger. I think I, that's where I had it right. Yeah. I mean, The Road... For whatever reason, I maybe it's just the bias of not wanting to go with the crowd of people and of angry young sort of aggro males that loved the road. But I did not love the road as much as a lot of people loved the road. I mean, it's fine. It's great. You can't argue with it. But, uh, you know, I think it's got it's some the, real emotion in it. It does. it does. It's got a sweet father son relationship and an actual something that feels vaguely redemptive at the end. Yeah. Some vague hope at the end. Yeah, which is pretty rare and unique for McCarthy. Yeah, and for that reason, it may well be the book that lasts, but probably will be. Yeah, I think it has a high hope of it. It's it's the one that it's also the shortest. It's short. It's easy to read relative to his other work. And now you can remember you can think of Viggo Mortensen when you read it. Yeah, where does that movie rank? I've never seen that movie. Never seen it. It's fine. Yeah, it's better than all the Pretty Horses. Yeah, but it's not as good as No Country. Well, there used to be rumors that the Coens were going to do Blood Meridian. That was a long, there was an internet rumor that went around. The Ridley Scott was going to do it too. Right? Yeah, Ridley Scott would have butchered it. I actually think the Coens might have known exactly where to pull back from what the book did, which is exactly what they did for with No Country. They, they may have actually been able to adapt it, although, of course, it is unadaptable. Those guys are really good. Those guys are good. I actually think if it, my my dream adaptation of Blood Meridian, if you're gonna do it, is animation. I actually think an animated Blood Meridian might give Guillermo, you, Guillermo del Toro to that. Yeah, Guillermo del Toro's play or stop motion Blood yeah. Meridian would be yeah. great. Let's get Netflix to sign up wow. for this. If you're gonna do it, 
not that you should do it, but if you're going to do it, you have to find some way to give yourself some distance from the material, yeah. which which McCarthy actually does in a weird way in the novel. His, his language is so Baroque that it gives you just enough distance from the atrocities that, that you don't necessarily stop reading. It's not Baroque enough that he needs to fix it, though. No. Maybe it is Baroque enough that he, I don't know. <sighs> Patrons. Jake looked at me with such disdain when I made that joke. Yeah. Well, people could see the disdain that flies around this table. <laughs> We're just like, why do we do this? <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of it. <laughs> there's self-loathing. There's other directed loathing. Why do I call you my friends? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes Brandon will pull out a picture of his dad and mom and weep. <laughs> <laughs> I have disappointed you yet again. I have dis- <laughs> He'll say, I've disappointed you yet again in some weird Yiddish accent. All right. Speaking of the people who you've disappointed quite a bit in your life. (laughs) Yeah. They are our patrons, I believe. (laughs) They are. (laughs) Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds. Let's see. On a scale of one to ten, how much has Brandon disappointed Robert and Rhonda, the lovebirds, Jake? Eight. How much do you think he's disappointed the artful Anthony Dodger and his lovely wife, Bootstrap Betsy? Eleven. Wow. Brandon, how much do you think Jake has disappointed little Anthony Cigar Store? How often do you buy cigars from him? I don't. Ten. Yeah. How much do, has Brandon disappointed the immortal Chelsea E? Two. How much are Jimmy Beam and little Annie Oakley disappointed with me? Four. Four. Lily of the Valley, what's her general disappointment with life? One. One. With life? She loves it. Yeah. Why wouldn't she? Andrew Nestor, the lovebirds. How happy... Is this with life or with us or Christmas? With Christmas. Oh, I don't know. Zero. Yeah. The Keith Master. With what? The death of his great grandparents. <laughs> I, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> Ten? Disappointment? <laughs> I'm disappointed in how you died or that yeah. you died. <laughs> no, no. I don't know. Five. Five. This okay. is not this is not good. I don't yeah, like that, this. Yeah, that was not was, a good question. All right, John and Jill and little baby Max, what what color robes should they get each other for Christmas? Red. <laughs> red robes for Christmas. <laughs> nice day for a red robe. It's like Santa robes, man. Come on. Yeah, Santa robes. Jay and Katie, who are cold and love cheese and also C.S. Lewis and Till We Have Faces, what robes should their family color wear? <laughs> Blue. Blue. <laughs> Sorry, folks. The passenger deserves no better patron shout-out than the one we're giving it. Fairy Princess of Wonder and Happiness, Mother Beth. Frankenstein. Council Prime Adam. Frank and Dracula. Frank and, Dra- Frank and a Dracula. <laughs> Frank and Dracula. It's a Frank and a Dracula. Nathan, not me. Frankenstein. Ryan the Red Avenger, Judith the Ladies of Justice. Tomac Caparthian. <laughs> DJ Sammy G. Frankenstein. Benny Danny Tiberius. Dracula. Eric and Gavin from Beyond Window Breaks, Lavender's Green, Dylan Dillon, Yellow, Constrictor, Marriage, Chief, Anthony Scott, Nate Slide, Liberty, the Pursuit of Cheese, Brick Red, Jesus, Jeffrey, the Stranger, Mendoza, Jalen, Ray, Jay of Rack and Ruin, Timothy, the Rider, Don, Eric and Kate, the Camp Champ Kings, Roar, Woman, Love Bees, Maddie, Maddie, Matt, Man, Sweet Jimmy's, Jim and John, Tally, the Keeper of Eternal Darkness, Mother, the Keeper of Eternal Light, Cold Steel, Cody, Jack of the Library, and Barbarian, John of the Dillon, Bob Diggity, and Captain Tinell, Mate, Jack of the Phone, Alice, the other Phone, Alice, and Depth of Danny, Eric, and Sarah, and Eric, and Frank Green, and Cribs, and who no longer secure the police, and Chief, Ben Solo, and Kylo Ren, John, the Cosmic King of Chaos, Matthew, the Mind Flayer, and here, okay. Get your gun. Fly the Valerie, Thor, Ragnar, Josh, Steven, dot, 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 Beglodon, Christopher the Firehawk, Lady of the Crystal Lake, Ian the Death, Lord of Death, Lord of Death, Ian the Death of Marion, Lord of Death, Dracula, Mysterious Phantom, Jeremy the Dark Lord, Lord of Death, and his brooding bride, Maya. Oh, I should have said his brooding bride, Maya! Maya! Frankenstein.
Remains of the day. Dragon. What about Abram, yeah. the teeth puller? Yeah. What about Lamort de Trentum? What about Daniel, man among men, and Jen, who strikes again every now and then? Dry. Frankenstein. The. Frankenstein. Dry. Frankenstein. La. Frankenstein. 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 Red. Frankenstein. 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 Frailty, thy name is Brandon. Oh, hey guys, I really do have something I forgot to say. Sorry. Yeah. Dracula. <laughs> Frankenstein. 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 <laughs> <laughs>